I would tell the seller, like, listen, like your your property is a good hour away. And if I'm going to drive over there, I need to know we have a deal because I've got other sellers I can meet. And, you know, would you want to drive in the car to then, you know, have someone weigh their options on your time? No, I wouldn't. Yep. Okay. So are you going to sign at this price? Yes or no? Like, are you serious? Okay. I'll, I'll be down there with the contract then. So if you take that approach of like, this is how I do it, the seller um, surprisingly won't really push back. Yeah. Like if you're wishy-washy and you don't say it with confidence, they will push back and they'll be, oh, I want someone to come to my house. Every once in a while, you get the seller that's like, I'm just not going to, I'm ready, but I'm not going to sign until someone's at my house. And I'm okay with that. Hey friends, you're listening to the CarrotCast podcast where we help investors and agents build businesses of freedom and impact. I'm your host, Brady Winder, and today I have with me Lauren Hardy. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hey. What's the best thing that's what's the best thing that's happened to you today? Oh, I got a good one. I stepped Uh-oh. I stepped on dog poo today as I was driving to my office and I'm in the car. And I'm like, why does it smell like dog poo in here? Oh, no. And I'm, I'm literally looking and I'm going, did my dog poo in my car? And I'm looking around. And then I realized the other alternative thing that could have happened is, did I step on dog poo? And yes, I did. And halfway through my drive to my office, I realized I had a massive pile of poo on my shoe, in my car, and there is no hose at my office. So I have my shoe (laughs) next to me right now with the window open and it's terrible. That's the best. Oh my gosh. That is the best thing because it was so funny. (laughs) Is it in the pedals too? A little bit and in the carpet. (laughs) That's good. That's a good day. It's so bad. But you you didn't think I was going to say that, folks. Well, props to you. So the best thing to happen to you today is maintaining a good attitude when that happens, because that would have just wrecked my day. Yeah. No, it was (laughs) funny. I was like laughing. It was so funny. Oh my gosh. Um, That's great. Um, Real quick housekeeping before we get started. uh, It's deal closers month at Carrot. So we've been putting out content on negotiation, follow up, how to close deals better, faster. So go to carrot.com slash close, get the show notes for this episode and the other episodes and posts we put out this month. Um, In the spirit of closers month, Lauren is a closer. She's going to talk with us about a couple of things, virtual investing, how to close over the phone. A lot of people that do virtual investing, there's JV and deals, but she's actually closing deals over the phone. So we're going to talk about how negotiation looks like when you're on the phone. Um, flipping in risky in a risky economy and a risky housing markets. This is really interesting because Lauren, being a virtual investor, she has the ability to pivot to different markets and choose markets wisely. So uh, everybody knows things are changing rapidly right now. And so if you're wondering where should I be investing, this is going to be really valuable for you. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a really good conversation. So, and if you're wondering if she has the authority or like, who is Lauren, what has she done? Uh, she's got hundreds of flips under her belt. She's how long have you been in the game, Lauren? Have you been in real estate? 10 years. Ten I was going to say over a decade, a decade. Good. Exactly. Yeah. Hundreds of flips a decade. And she's coaching over 350 students. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Did I leave anything out? Anything else you want to cover? Uh, Is that the resume? That's the resume. Started when I was 20, 25, 26 and uh, 36 now. And I did it with, you know, two young children and I was a, I'm a single mom. So yeah. 
That's me. awesome. How did you, uh, how did you get into it at 25? I, so I had my daughter Reese and she was one years old. And at that point I was like this corporate life thing and raising a kid at the same time is terrible. Um, I, I had, uh, I was married at the time and we both had corporate jobs and it was really, really challenging to juggle, you know, the responsibilities, you know, of being a parent Mm. and having a corporate job. I hardly ever saw my kid. Um, so I was in this mode of, I will do anything to get out of this eight to five grind that I'm in. Um, Mm. I just so happened to be mentioning, you know, complaining about this, um, to my brother, we, we used to hang out on Sundays, barbecue at my house, hang out by the pool. And Dustin had just started flipping houses, maybe two years prior to that. And he was like, you should just do what I do then. And I was like, what do you do? I didn't even, I never really paid attention to what my brother was doing in house flipping. I was like, he flips houses, but I don't really know or care what that, what that's about. Um, but I did care when he told me that it meant that I can work from home and I didn't have to go to the office anymore and I would have flexibility. So that's how I got into it. That's awesome. Kids are a very, very powerful motivator. I remember when my son was, you know, ages like two through four, five ish, that, that fire under me of like, Mm -hmm. I need to get some of my time and flexibility back. I need to be present. Yeah. Powerful motivator. Yes. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about virtual wholesaling. So um, we're seeing it carried a lot more investors are going national with their messaging and their marketing. We're seeing more Google ads campaigns targeting yeah. national instead yeah. of just local. We're seeing more people wanting to, like we put out podcasts and virtual investing. People are like, I want to learn more about this. It's mm-hmm. a hot topic. Yeah. It makes sense, especially the pandemic just kind of escalated that too. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's getting more difficult? Is it getting more competitive going national versus local? Okay. So I let's first define, you know, how virtual and what the two trends that I'm seeing. So yeah. there is a national model that is, you know, kind of I I buy all over the nation. I'm not market specific. I run a Google ads campaign with really high targeted keywords, like the most motivating keywords, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, when I do get the contract, it really the work is in the dispo side because now it's how do I move this contract when I don't have any boots on ground? So I do know some people that had those companies that model um, from here, you know, kind of what I've heard. I know some that went out of business and are over it and was like, no, it was too dispo intensive. You know, it was, it was yeah. like, okay, it's now, you know, if maybe the the challenge is acquisitions and I, I did this because I wanted to get in less competitive markets. Well, now your other problem is, you know, now you have a, d- a difficult time selling these properties, right? So you might get, you know, 19 contracts and you sell two and you just spun your wheels. So for that reason, I don't care for that model. I do know that there's some people I've heard that are like pretty successful at it, um, but it doesn't interest me. Um, mm-hmm. The other way of virtual, and which is what I more um, teach and what I'm comfortable with and that what I enjoy, is just having markets that you actually work and know really well and mm. you know you stay in for the long haul. Um, you know, you're not bouncing from one market to another, to another, you're, you know, you're committed and maybe that's one other market. Maybe that's three. Um, you know, that's what I prefer as far as my virtual strategy goes. Hmm. 
Okay. So how many markets are you investing in right now? Well, and sorry, let me ask for, for context real quick for people listening. What's your, what's your exit strategy? Are you primarily wholesaling or, or mostly flipping? Uh, I was for a while, primarily wholesaling for the last two years. Prior mm-hmm. to that, I was primarily flipping. And okay. then I kind of went more to like a wholesale model. Um, as I was kind of getting into coaching, kind of building up this other side of my business. Now, as of 2021, I'm back into flipping, which is a funny time to choose doing it, by yeah. the way, given the market. <laughs> like, I was like, really? Yeah. You had a like great timing, Lauren. Like, you had to get the itch to get back as the market's, uh, you know, kind of uh, going yeah. a different direction. But um, but we'll talk more about that later. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. yeah, no. So now it's a little bit of both. Um, I am in a few different markets. So um, I'm in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, which they're two like right next to each other. I've been, mm-hmm. you know, wholesaling in those markets uh, for, gosh, I don't know, probably four years or something. Um, I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I've got quite a few flips out there right now. Um, and I have actually joint ventured um, on, so I'm, I'm starting to actually partner with people more and we do the dispositions in Boise, Idaho. Um, so that's, that's been really cool, but Boise is an interesting market right now. Um, and I'm really enjoying that because we're, mm. we, our focus was just building this massive buyers list in Boise. Our partner's focus is the acquisition side and it's been a really, really cool synergy. So we're looking to actually do more of those. Um, because it's a very scalable model for my team. My team's really good at Dispo, really strong there. Um, we just picked up Tyler, Texas. So um, so that's been pretty cool. Um, ah, so two college towns. I was just, yeah. I'm from Texas and I was just in Boise. They're both really popping, fast growing. Yeah. And it's all just been partnerships. So those two are the partnerships. Like that's a new thing that I started hmm. doing this year is just like, you know, networking with certain people and saying, Hey, we have a really good synergy. We want to do the dispo. You do the acquisitions kind of merge companies, right? Like merge the process together. And so we started doing that. We're trying that on. Um, but when we get to talking about the market shift, I would love to talk about me actually getting back into my hometown because I haven't bought in property here in Southern California in a few years. I've been focused on out-of-state markets, um, but I Holy think cow. we're I think where we are, you know, with with what's happening in real estate, I think there might be opportunity here coming soon. So, yeah. Well, shoot, let's let's talk about it. Let's dive into it. So, how are you? I want to know, like, with Boise and with Tyler, Texas, how are you choosing these markets? Was it just you had the relationship, the connection there? Yes. Like, well, those okay. two were pure relationship and connection, and I it's just yeah. us doing the dispo there. Yeah, that's it. We're not doing. Anything I, I would like to explore, like flipping, you know, there eventually. Boise is a falling knife, right? Which is very strange. Boise is like, I mean, prices, there are so many price reductions on the screen that it looks like your screen is bleeding in Boise. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So um, that's the fun part about being virtual and like having that skill is like, I, I see, like, I can go, okay, I don't want to buy an investment property here yet. Eventually, like, yeah, but not right now. But hey, like, in, you know, the Northeast, it's not as bad. We're not seeing, you know, price cuts, really. Like, I'm not seeing price cuts in Pittsburgh right now. Um, hmm. So I feel comfort that, hey, maybe, you know, we can get out of the flips we're in without, you know, you know, coming out unscathed. 
Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. Hmm. So are you looking at, are there any other factors you're looking at when you're considering like, oh, do I want to invest in this market? Or is it just going off of the, the trust and the relationship there? So when it, for Tyler and boys, that's like a unique thing. Um, it really is just that I, it was a relationship thing. It was like, yeah. Hey, let's try this out. And it's just been, you know, it's been working so far. Tyler's our newest one. We've not really like dove, dove in too hard there. Um, we're working on like building the buyers list and all that, but Boise, we've actually, you know, done the dispo and wholesaled some deals already and it's been working yeah. out really well. Um, so that's that I wouldn't say it was more of just the partnership was, was what okay. drew us to those markets. Um, but yeah. when picking a market, um, yeah, I, I have been in five different markets, I think five or six where I like, I chose it and then some worked for various reasons. And then some, I was like, nah, this isn't working. Like, mm. so, you know, that's, if you want to ask me like specific questions on like how, you know, I go about that, you know, I've got those, I got those stories to tell. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what are you doing when you're looking at markets? So when I'm looking at markets, um, I come from my backyard being a very unbalanced seller's market in mm. California you know, to buy a property here that is, you know, below market value enough to fix up and flip it. Um, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to convince a California seller to reduce the price enough to where it makes a safe investment for a house flipper. The people mm -hmm. that are flipping houses here, um, they are either like not as risk adverse as I am. Like they just have a higher tolerance for that. I suffer from anxiety. So like for me, like that didn't fit my, like what was okay for me. Like I just couldn't, I wasn't comfortable making those kind of risks. Um, hmm. the, the deals there, the margins are very slim. Um, you know, I'm seeing people buy, like I know one off the top of my head, um, uh, investor, is it's like an $800,000, you know, purchase an ARV is like somewhere in the million, but the rehab is like a hundred thousand. Um, the anticipated profit that they're thinking of hope, hopefully getting is like $40,000. And mm. I'm like, for that much, like for that big of a purchase price and that big of a rehab and <laughs> you're coming out cow. with all that money. I'm like that. Why don't you just be a realtor and collect a realtor commission? Like right. that to me, I just couldn't sleep at night, <laughs> you know, like doing that That's a lot of risk slim of a deal, but they're doing it. Um, there's also a lot of like maybe ADU and like kind of creative stuff in California that I think people are getting, you know, that are successful mm. with. It just wasn't for me at that, you know, back 10 years ago when I got started and I started seeing the market change, I decided what was for me is just like, let's invest in cheaper areas where there's some more seller motivation. So I wanted the opposite of California. I wanted a more balanced market um, where, you know, you could buy rentals and they cash flow. You know, you mm -hmm. like the, you know, you hear maybe the 1% rule, you know, could you buy a property for, you know, $100,000 and get $1,000 in rent or better? That's the type of market that I wanted to be a part of because it was mm. so different from what I was dealing with in California. And if I wanted right. that opposite, I would just go in my backyard. It's just easier. You don't have to get as creative, which yeah. more and more and more people, I mean, the market right now is forcing people to get more creative, but right. about like, okay, or how, is there enough space to add an ADU? Can yeah. we expand the house? Can we add an Airbnb to this? You know, can we do short-term rental? Right. Hmm. 
Yeah, it was just a more scalable model for me at the time, um, which is why I decided to do that. And also, I think that there's just a little bit of an adventure in me. Like I, you know, I, I'm not totally married to the idea of living in California the rest of my life. So it was yeah. it was kind of cool to like be able to, you know, experience different areas. And when you're buying property in different territories, like you become you know, part of the area, like you learn the culture and you make friends there and you go visit. And, you know, it's really cool to kind of have, you know, connections in different parts of the country. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you said, but, um, earlier you had mentioned you were thinking about investing again in your home market. Yeah. What's going on there? Okay. So here we are, you know, I've been, I've been waiting for this moment for like six years, <laughs> you know, I, it, it yeah. was California really turned into a seller's market, my the beginning stages of my career. So I started mm -hmm. out and it was a buyer's market. And then it really turned around and became a seller's market. And it was like year after year, it became harder and harder to acquire one flip. And that margin, that profit margin that, you know, my profit margin requirement that was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, you know, you're, you're doing more work to make less money. And it was really frustrating. And I kept saying, mm -hmm. God, I cannot wait for a buyer's market because I would love to be able to buy my hometown because I love house flipping. I love that process. I love being in the home and talking to my crew and finding funny things in the properties. And like, I like being physically there. Like, it's fun to get out of your house, you know? Yeah. Um, and not have to just instruct people over the phone, right? Right. So I couldn't wait for that. And I think with where we are in the market, um, in Orange County, I had heard that prices have already gone down 10%. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, that's crazy. That's not happened in a very, very long time where prices have gone down. Um, interest rates keep going up. And when I look around, there's price reductions on a lot of the properties and a lot of properties are sitting. And so um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not an economist. Um, but I do sort of think that there might be, you know, some seller motivation, you know, coming up soon. And I would love to be a part of that. Um, I also think I'm just in a different place in my career. And this is like, maybe this might resonate with somebody who's a little bit newer in this business. Like when I got started, I was terrified to flip a house where the ARV would be 800,000. That would I mean, that would scare, scare me. Like yeah. I was like, no way. Right. Like that was terrifying to me. Um, yeah. but as you, you know, as you just gain experience and maybe you do a flip where the ARV is 340,000, right. And then maybe you do one that's like 450, right. You just start incrementally going up. You eventually like grow that muscle where you can tolerate bigger deals and more risk. So where I am today is different than where I was when I was investing in my backyard mm. and um, flipping in my backyard, you know, years ago. Um, now, you know, a $2 million ARV doesn't scare me really. Like I understand real estate better. I have better, you know, connections with um, raising capital. Um, so that's- And you understand your market better too. Yeah, I understand. The confidence has yeah, gone and up. I just understand real estate better, you know, like- yeah. I think when you get started as a house flipper, like you, you have this like fear that like, what if my property never sells to anyone? <laughs> like what if everyone stops buying real estate? 
<laughs> like that's right. You just get these like irrational fears. Irrational. Yeah. 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 We're like, once you've been through it for a while, you're like, okay, there's always like kind of creative stuff that we can do, you know, to get right. out of these situations. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I love that. Mm. I, I'm, I'm trying to think in my head. I think this, at the time of recording this, we we've already recorded with uh, Leon Johnson. I believe the episode came out uh, will have come out the week prior. So go listen to that mm-hmm. uh, on creative finance, like lots of creative finance advice, really good stuff in there. Uh, we are seeing uh, more motivated sellers. You were talking about you see some more motivated seller motivation coming up. Um, that's one of the things we've been covering in our monthly market harvest. We've been doing is uh, we have been seeing more motivated seller leads. Mm-hmm. Um, to care members' websites, and the conversion has mm. gone up as well. Wow! And so, um, yeah, there has been uh, definitely a bump in motivated seller leads coming in over the last uh, few months here. So the, the wow. motivation is coming back; it's starting yeah. to turn. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So yeah, tune into the next one. Check it out; it's very interesting. Um, so let's talk about closing over the phone. You mentioned like, you know, you love getting out there in person and being at the house and the excitement, the rush there, closing the deal. But what does this look like over the phone as far as like the whole deal start to finish? Is it, it, it feels like it'd be an uphill battle versus okay. being in person. Is it that way? No, not necessarily. So, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say I like being in person doing the acquisitions. That's actually, I hate that. Like, I don't oh. want to, I don't want to meet with sellers. Like, I don't want to do any of that. Uh, <laughs> I don't like any of that part. Um, I like just being on the, at the projects and stuff. Like once it's okay. my house, like I enjoy that part, but, um, yeah. no, I, 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 I grew really, uh, uh, frustrated with, um, getting out in my car and meeting a seller to then, you know, and driving it sometimes like an hour and a half to get to their house you know, for oh, them yeah. to then tell me, oh, you know what? Uh, okay. I just got another guy come in and, and then they bid up the price and then they give the other guy the deal. I got over that game real quick. Um, so mm-hmm. I started doing everything over the phone when I actually was local, um, mainly because California, the traffic is just so bad. Like I would just, I would tell the seller, like, listen, like you're, your property is a good hour away. And if I'm going to drive over there, I need to know we have a deal. You know, I don't mm. have all, because I've got other sellers I can meet and I, I don't, you know, would you want to drive in the car to then, you know, have someone weigh their options on your time? And they, no, I wouldn't. Yep. Okay. So are you going to sign at this price? Yes or no? Like, are you serious? Okay. I'll, I'll be down there with the contract then. Um, so mm. yeah. So if you take that approach of like, this is how I do it, the seller, um, surprisingly won't really push back. Like I, if you're wishy-washy about it, yeah. Like if you're wishy-washy and you don't say it with confidence, they will push back and they'll be, Oh, I want someone to come to my house. Every once in a while you get the seller. That's like, I'm just not going to, I'm ready, but I'm not going to sign until someone's at my house. And I'm okay with that. So closing over the phone virtually, is it challenging for sure? Do you, I I'm sure we've lost deals because we couldn't get in front of the seller. Like I'm, I'm sure. But I'm willing to uh, be okay with that loss because I think we've also like maybe made up on the deals that we could have done because we were able to call more sellers and make more offers because we're more efficient. So Mm. like, it's kind of hard, you know, to like, to know which is better. It's just which is better for you and what works for your lifestyle. For me, I physically can't. So it is what it is. Um, Closing, you know, the whole process over the phone. Um, yeah, it's challenging. So 
there's two approaches to say doing like a wholesale deal. Um, if we're talking about wholesaling, are we talking about wholesaling specifically? Wholesaling specifically, I was curious about. Yeah. Okay. So there's two ways to go about it. You know, easiest way, path of least resistance is just get a JV partner, get a joint venture partner in the area that's mm -hmm. local to handle. As soon as you get the seller and the seller says yes, the JV partner, you know, takes the contract and, you know, goes, does the rest, right? Like does yeah. the buyer walk through, meets the seller, takes photos, all that stuff, right? Are um, you doing 50-50 split for most of your JV deals? Um, actually, no, I offer less. Um, it's so funny, you know, there a couple years ago, dispo co-wholesaling wasn't really a thing. Like it wasn't like this trendy thing that it is now. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I used to find JVs that would take 30% and they'd be so thankful. And like, and now <laughs> it's this trend as for 50% of the deal when you didn't spend any money in marketing, all you your did, marketing dollars, yeah, all you did is blast it to a e, to a mailing list that you already had, an email blast that you already knew, you already knew those buyers. Like all you had to do is go to the property. You know, you go to the property a couple times, hmm. like, and you're taking fifty percent. That poor person in acquisitions has all the marketing spend that they spent. You know, they they have actually hard costs like on that deal, and you don't have anything. So mm. no, I don't charge 50%. I charge 30% because I mm. think that's fair. That's fair. So I'm taking, yeah. I'm taking a stance, Brady. <laughs> I, can, I can appreciate that. I, you know, I just, you hear 50, 50 all the time. I hear no. it left and right. And so that it makes more sense when you put it that way. There, there are a lot of hard fixed costs in your marketing dollars and the time investment to get the lead. I know. Yeah. I know. And Hey, if anybody's listening, we are still partnering with people. So if you need a partner, <laughs> I will let you know my markets reach out. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, so that's path of least resistance, but unfortunately right now, 50% seems to be the number that these guys want to take. Um, I, not me, but you know, there, yeah. there is, there's that. Um, but the other approach is do it all yourself. I do, this is varsity. I don't think a newbie should try to do the whole thing. I think a newbie should get a partner. And then once you're really comfortable in your area, I think you should try to figure out how to build your own buyers list. And all you need is one position. It, I call it a runner. It's like, I mean, I don't know if I made this up, but like, I just call them a runner because they're an errand runner and they, mm. they present themselves nice. Like they're a normal person, you know, and they're responsible and they are the ones that go to the property and they take the photos. They do the buyer walkthrough. You train them on what to say and how to, you know, talk to buyers and how to introduce yourself to the seller and you know, you like you train them. It's not, it doesn't take much and they just work for you part-time and you know, you pay them maybe 20 bucks an hour or $25 an hour. Um, you know, so that's, that would be the do it yourself, do the whole thing and collect a hundred percent of the wholesale fee. Um, which hmm. that's what we do in our markets. But when I start in a new market, I always use a JV, even now with my experience level, I always start with a JV in a new market. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Get, mm -hmm. Start with JV, get familiar with the market and then work up from there. Mm -hmm. How'd you, how'd you find your, uh, runners? Craigslist. Craigslist. Yeah. What do you, yeah. what are you posting? Like real estate assistant? Just like a real estate errand runner. <laughs> <laughs> Something like property inspection. I don't know. I don't, I do not know. What do I call it? Like, I literally think I just call it like errand runner. And huh. I just post ads and, and I get a lot of responses too. 
I was gonna say it's a funny, it's a funny, ambiguous, vague title. So I feel I like it peak curiosity enough to be like, huh, what's that? Twenty four yeah. hour this could be good. Yeah, yeah, like I, I, I honestly, it's funny. I, I'd have to look back and go, what do I call? It? I think I probably call it something different every time. It's not like, um, you know, we're lucky that once we get our runners, like we try to get people that like will want to do it for a long time. So mm. like, I'm not always finding a new runner every time I get a new deal. It's like, no, we have right. one runner that's been with us for like four years. Like he's awesome. So yeah, we try to are, keep the same ones. Yeah. And are they working? Uh, how, how much are they working? I'm just wondering like, what incentivizes them to stick around for a few years, especially with part-timers. It could be hard to retain yeah. them. No, it is. It works the best with people that have kind of a flexible schedule with their current job. So it works ah. really good with realtors. So I've had mm. some great realtor runners because they're like, yeah, you know, make some extra money on the side, you know, while things are slow for them or whatever. Um, so yeah. it works, you know, freelancers, like one guy's a photographer. Um, one guy has a full-time job, but he gets off at like three o'clock, you know, mm. so he just does everything after three and it's fine, you know? So. Okay. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Huh. Um, what else? So what are the other things we're about up on time here, but I want to know, let's see, we talked about closing over the phone. Uh, we talked about JVing. We talked about how to choose your markets, um, why you're investing in certain markets, um, getting back into California or seeing the price drops. What other things are you doing to, uh, that have helped you as a virtual investor? And what, what are you doing right now to kind of, you know, fend off risk? Sorry, those two questions oh. at once. Feel free to pick. <laughs> okay, so what have I done to help me as a virtual what? investor? I think Let's start there. I think one of the most helpful things has been knowing as many people and making as many friends as you can in your market because hmm. you're going to get in some jams and you're going to need some people to call. So, you know, like a perfect example for us right now, we had this project in Pittsburgh and we had a contractor that just stunk and did some um, not so legal stuff. And, um, you know, we got in a jam and we're stuck with it. And, and it's, you know, it was really nice that I was able to just call like five people I knew to say, hey, I need a replacement. And, and can you give me a number? Um, and so, you know, if I didn't have that, like... I, and it's funny because even the people like we called, um, you know, some of these people we called like they weren't great, you know, but then we landed mm -hmm. on like one guy that we were like, that's our guy. And you know what? We're going to use him forever. Like, great. You know, and it's all because I was able to like call and reach out and like get help. So, mm. yes, your network is, is huge. Where have the most valuable relationships for you come from as far as networking? Where are you meeting people? my buyers list. <laughs> so ah, that's the yeah. cool thing about being a, you know, a wholesaler, you know, and that you do the business too, you know, yeah. because like they're kind of motivated to help you because they know like that you might sell them a deal from time to time. So like that's, that's been awesome. But I do, I will say Facebook groups are great. Yeah, mm. for sure. Okay. And other wholesalers. So then other wholesalers introduce you to people like, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's like just how to make friends, right? Like yeah. you just kind of meet people through other people too. And yeah, don't yeah. ever stop networking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So f follow up question number three to my original question, what are you doing to build your, uh, buyers list? What's worked best for you? 
I love Facebook groups. I do. Yeah. I love Facebook groups. Um, we'll post our deals on Craigslist. You know, you got to be careful about how you post it. Um, but you know, we post that we have, you know, an assignable contract on a deal and, and, um, you know, we'll get people to reply that way. Um, mainly though, a lot is from Facebook real estate investment associations. When we post our deals, we always get new buyers that are, you know, that we never had on our list before. Cause there's always new people entering that group. Mm. Yeah. So I that's, that. that's like a regular, we do that a couple times a week in our groups. I love that. I love yeah. that Craigslist is working for you. I love mm -hmm. Craigslist. I, I, I'm going to make a t-shirt that says Craigslist is not dead. Facebook Marketplace hasn't killed Craigslist yet. Mm -hmm. Still works. <laughs> Still works. Yeah. 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 Um, my last question for you: What is, um, are is there anything you're doing to uh, fend off any risk or any way you're changing your strategy right now with the market being so volatile? Yes. So I am making sure I, I take my ARV and I minus ten percent. And I just mm -hmm. go, okay, what will I, um, it's tricky because you gotta go, okay, well, will I make money, you know, or am I just breaking even? And sometimes I just gotta take it, even if I'm breaking even, because there's a chance it won't, it won't go down 10%. Um, but if it does, at least I know I'm not going to owe money, <laughs> you know, on the deal at least, right. you know, I know I'm not going to have to like pay my investor back with my own savings. Um, so um, but unfortunately we aren't in a place where I just get to dictate what I want to pay. We're just not that it's not that much of a buyer's market. I, some would argue it's not a buyer's market yet. Right. So mm -hmm. if I offer too low, I lose out on the deal because there's somebody else willing to pay, you know, mm -hmm. so it is a delicate balance. Um, but it's like, it's a hard no. Like if I take 10% off and I am losing money, I will not buy the deal. I make sure my rehab numbers are extremely healthy. Like I'm not not cutting my rehab at all. I see a lot of flippers, new, new flippers. They do that. Like they don't put enough into rehab. Construction costs are insane right now. Um, so I'm very healthy on construction budget. I get multiple opinions on construction. Um, and I just minus 10% off the ARV and go, okay, am I still making money? Like, okay. Like, is there any, you know, I try to get it even better. You know, I see if there's any wiggle room on the price and if I could get it even better than that, then great. But if I can, I'll take it. Hmm. Oh. Okay. And how's that? Um, you were you were talking about multiple opinions on construction. Have you had any issues finding contractors? I'm just like every day. I'm dealing with contractors myself and building a house. Oh my god! And everybody I talk to is having the same contractor it's issues. It's a and it's a nightmare. <laughs> the contractors I'm talking to saying it's not going to go away for the next ten, fifteen, twenty years. There's this this gap of just not yeah. enough. Yeah. Any, any tips or are we just all yes. going to suffer together? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, no, we're all going to suffer together. I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, so my boyfriend, uh, is a contractor himself. Um, oh, he's perfect. licensed in California and he has a very long, uh, a lot of experience in construction in the construction industry. Um, so he is my project manager. So mm. I have, yeah. So all the drama that I'm dealing with in my virtual flips, he is the one actually like leading and and um, running all the jobs virtually. Um, That's called synergy. Yeah, it's been great. It's been amazing. It's good. So he does really, really well. But then what I come in for is when we are like, oh, wait, we need an HVAC guy because there's this problem. I come in to utilize my network to get the right people like because mm. he doesn't have those connections. So for me, getting referrals for the subs 
So here's my advice. No one, if you have a, if they have a good general contractor, they are not going to give you it. No investor. I don't care how good of friends you are. Your mom, <laughs> your mom won't even tell you who her contractor is. Okay. Right. Yeah. But if you decide to sub out your jobs, what that's what we do. So we sub out everything. We, we run our own jobs. We actually have our license in Pittsburgh. It's owner builder. So mm-hmm. my boyfriend got his owner builder license so we can do that. And um, we sub everything out. We sent a crew. We have a, our own in-house crew in Pittsburgh now. So like we have mm. our crew to do like the work, but this, the, the highly technical stuff, like the HVAC electrical plumbing, like we, um, uh, we get like a plumber, electrician, an HVAC guy. So no one's going to tell you the general contractor. They will tell you an HVAC guy they recommend. They will tell you a roofer they recommend. So the subs mm-hmm. aren't, they're busy, but they're like, you can get the subs to come. You can get a decent sub. You can also stubble on some crappy subs as well, but you could, you have a better shot getting an honest subcontractor and you subbing out your job um, than you do finding a general contractor right now. Mm-hmm. So if you can find a way to try to run your own jobs, that's what I would recommend because you can now control, you know, the, the progress of the job versus the other yeah. hand, what I, what we experienced, the reason we had to do this is we experienced this. We got a general contractor. Like, I don't know where we found this guy. Somehow found this guy, right? And it was a nightmare. It was the guy, you know, like he's running a bunch of jobs. He's too busy. And there's like a month where nobody's at our house. Like nobody's there doing anything. There's been no forward progress for weeks, you know? And and we just said, forget it. You're fired. And we're not dealing with that anymore. And so we just, we just did the whole thing ourselves and we're doing it all virtually. Mm, Wow. That's awesome. The boots on ground to help us has been a realtor. So we found Mm. a realtor who he also flipped homes as well. So he's got that experience and he understands like enough construction. So he's been our boots on ground to check that, you know, what we told them to do, they did it and they did it well. So it's been, yeah, it took us a long time to come up with that. And they have the attention to detail. They've been in it Mm -hmm. so they know what to look for. And they probably have more connections to quality subs as well. Yeah. That's that's really good advice. It's probably not the advice most people want to hear. Like, I don't want to run my own jobs. But like, I think people, we all need to wake up and face the reality like that problem is not going away, this contractor issue. Um, I was talking with the Grand Brothers a few weeks ago. Their carrot members have been on the podcast a few times as well. And they, uh, two brothers here in Oregon, and uh, they got their contractor's license because they're going through mm-hmm. the same story yeah. you're talking about. And eventually it was like, you know what? Um, yeah. We we just need to do these jobs ourselves. We need to get our license. And I said, when did it, when did it get easier? Like you guys have subs who stick around. And I said, well, what changed, I'm paraphrasing, but what changed was that they were able to get higher quality subs more consistently once they had done more flips, once they got more flips under yeah. their belt. because. You know, you think about like who a sub wants to work for. They don't want to go. Most of them don't want to go work for the homeowner. They want to work for the GC that's feeding Mm -hmm. them consistently, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. quality work consistently. And so if you're the GC as the investor, now you have more leverage in your back pocket to say, hey, Mm -hmm. I've got another flip. I've got another flip. And so you've got more of the subs time. You might be getting a better price. It's so much better relationship versus the one off investor or homeowner 
right. who's not the GC, you know? Right. Yeah. And um, I would say you saw, if you're kind of newer to an area of flipping, you, you're going to have to have that project, the learning curve project. And so like we had that in Pittsburgh and um, mm. that was the learning curve project where, you know, we had to go through a few electricians to find the good one. You know, you have to go through a few HVAC people, you know, subs to find the good one, right? Like, so sometimes it's not so much that they don't want to work with you because you didn't do enough. It's that you literally, you you're just your first shot. You stumbled on a dud, you know, and you got a bad guy and now you have to find a good guy to fix the bad guy's problem. So like we had that, we had that. But you know, my, I suspect, and this is coming from someone who's got a you know, I've got this coaching program with like 400 people went through it. Right. So I got talked to a lot of people that have done like a lot of deals all over the country. And there are a lot of newbie flippers that they don't know what they're doing and they don't have the wherewithal to sub out their job on their own. Oh, scary. And I have, I have, in fact, I, I, there's a few people like in Pittsburgh alone that I've heard this story, actually two different people, like, like, yeah, yeah, no, we bought two in Pittsburgh. We're flipping them in there. And then I was like, how are things going? You're a general contractor. This is a funny story. I'll end with this one. Yeah. You got a general contractor? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I got two. I got two houses. I got two GCs. Everything seems to be going pretty well. I was like, how long have you been doing those? Pro- how long has the project been going? Oh, it's only been about two, three weeks. Oh, okay. So like, you know, I'm curious, like, so how are these contractors? How are they doing? Like, are they you know, or do you see forward progress in your jobs? He was like, oh, well, one of them hurt his hand. So he was in the hospital. He hurt his hand. So, I, you know, I'm giving him a break because like he can't, you know, like he hurt his hand. He even sent me a picture of like a cast and stuff. And so I'm just giving him a little break, but I'm sure he was really great. He's really, you know, nice guy. I'm sure he's good for it. <laughs> so much benefit of the doubt. I could, yeah. Do you know how many people die in these contractors' families and, and their hands get hurt? And I have heard, we heard every ex- story from these GCs. As soon as you start hearing excuses like, I broke my hand, I, I fell and I hurt my back. Oh, my, my, we're moving. We have a move. And, and, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, can you just give me a week? And, um, I talked to a guy. He had three birthdays. That was a that was a big excuse I for. Yeah, I, I got to celebrate my birthday. Well, it's my actual birthday. I can't mm-hmm. be the job. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, I know it's so. That's what's happening right now. So if you're hearing, if your contractor is telling you some personal excuse of why they're not, you're screwed. This guy sucks. Fire him. <laughs> Less benefit of the doubt. And no, I was, no. I was talking with Trevor about this yesterday. Cause like I said, I'm building my house. Trevor's, you know, remodeling commercial buildings downtown. And, and the lesson that we're learning right now is to stop price shopping. This is not the time to price shop for contractors and to try to find a good deal. Yeah, Trying to find a good deal is a good way to pay for a job twice and run into more issues. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And if you don't have, uh, listen, I'm really lucky. I've got Drew. My boyfriend knows so much about construction. He knows what a project should cost. He knows like by the square foot, like what each thing should be. And I'm very, very lucky. Um, I highly recommend, you know, like aligning yourself with someone that's got that kind of construction experience right now in this, in Mm. where we are right now, because it's pretty brutal. 
Yeah. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's valuable. It's very valuable and hard to find or know. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing those nuggets. That's a, that's a fun little bonus of the episode. Um, <laughs> where can people find you? Where can people follow along? So I am on Instagram. You can check out This Mom Flips and that'll lead you to all my, you know, my so- my other social channels. Um, but I do have a free wholesaling course. If you uh, want to check out www.freecourseonwholesaling.com. That's awesome. Are there, are there backflips in gymnastics too on Instagram? Cause I'm just saying that would be really cool if you're like flipping houses and like literal backflips. No, no, it was more of a, you know, play on the words. I flip out on my children. Oh, okay. So just like mom rants and parenting tips. Yeah. 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 Parenting tips. Yeah. Don't subscribe for parenting tips. I can appreciate that. I like how it works both directions. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Lauren. It's been a very fun conversation. Um, Yeah, a lot of little gold nuggets in here. Yeah, so everybody listening, watching, go to carrot.com slash close. This is going to be a wrap on uh, Deal Closers Month. And stay tuned for our next few episodes. If you got value out of it, share it with a friend. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll, We'll see you next week. 